Well, it is so good to be with you. We are continuing on in our journey through the first uh, few chapters of Paul's uh, letter to the Corinthians. Uh, it's been our hope that as we give ourselves to this letter, as we meditate it here, meditated on upon uh, here in worship, and you take it with you into uh, your community groups this week, that you would be captivated by Paul's vision for the church, the church that the world needs, which is a church that has as its central message and as its prevailing hope, the foolishness of the cross. See, Paul's claim in this letter, and Christianity's claim, is that Jesus' death on a cross is the paradigm by which we make sense of everything. In fact, this is much of Paul's point in these first few letters, uh, uh, in these opening chapters of uh, 1 Corinthians. It's impossible to make sense of God, and it's impossible to make sense of ourselves, the church, our world, without the cross. It's Jesus' crucifixion, his death by execution, between two criminals that changed the world. So the cross changes the way we see the world and the way we live in the world. So how we understand wisdom and power and identity and evil and reconciliation uh, and ambition, failure. The cross changes how we understand all of it. So the scandalous notion that the Messiah, the Son of God, would die on a cross should define us and be our lens through which we see all of reality. In many ways, 1 Corinthians teaches us how to do that. And this is important, and it is uh, relevant for us to be thinking through this and pondering this, because the world that you woke up in this morning is so much different than the world was 10 years ago, and even five years ago, and even two years ago. It's changed socially, and politically, and pandemically. I don't think that's a word. There's been a red underline on my manuscript all week. I'm just ignoring it. I'm going to make it a word. Pandemically is a word. Sorry to the English teachers out there. But as a result, everyone, every one of us, and your neighbors as well, are living in a collective moment of disorientation. Perhaps the one thing we share, whether you're on the left or the right or in the center politically, is, is uh, we share that we live with this disheartened disorientation. But that's only part of the story. Because there's also reason for hope, to be sure. The city continues to uh, return to normalcy. I can't find parking anywhere. <laughs> and I'm kind of excited to complain about it with you. So many folks who left the city are returning. Many people uh, are new, and we're seeing more and more, and more new folks uh, moving into the city. And we just celebrated our 10th anniversary last weekend. And as late as August, we weren't going to sure if we were even going to be able to pull that off, pandemically speaking. And we have hopes for our mission and ministry for the future. So what do we do with this? The chaos, division, and confusion of the secular world we're in, mixed with the hope that God is at work in this church and in this city and in our world. Well, Paul wants you to look to the cross, to keep your eyes focused on the crucified Messiah, because there we see power and the wisdom of God. There we see the love of God and his intentions to bring healing to the world. And we should listen to Paul because he is surprisingly familiar with the world that you and I inhabit. True, he would not be familiar with alternate side parking regulations. He wouldn't know anything of social media posts or social media influencers or finstas. I just learned what that was this week and I wanted to show off. I know what it is. If you don't know what it is, you should ask a teenager and they won't tell you. 
But Paul does know the human heart. That's what he knows. And he knows our desire to know and to be known. And he also knows much of what drives the secular world because, after all, Paul had been to Corinth. He had planted churches there. And Corinth, as Jason has talked about, was a city much like New York that was filled with competing visions for what it means to be human, for who God was and what his intentions were for the world and how we can know him. Corinth had only been rebuilt about 100 years before Paul had preached there by Julius Caesar. It was filled with religious temples uh, to gods like Apollo and Aphrodite. It was also, in many ways, the crossroads of the world. And as one commentator put it, Corinth was an immoral city in an immoral age. And even in, the, in an age filled with sexual immorality, Corinth stood out and was known for its licentious lifestyle. And into that chaotic world, Paul wants this young church in Corinth and he wants you and I to grow in wisdom. A spirit-filled, cross-shaped wisdom. A wisdom that will allow us to navigate the mind-blowing, disorienting complexities of your life and of our world. And to be able to navigate all sorts of different situations. So what I'd like for us to do is read uh, chapter 2, verses 6 through 13, and then give our attention uh, and meditate on how Paul is leading us and calling us to wisdom. So 2 Corinthians, starting in chapter 2, verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory, but it is written, wait, uh, what, not, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the, the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Would you pray with me? Our great God and heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you would give us the wisdom that Paul speaks of. We long for it. We need it. And you have promised to give it to us. So God, by the power of your spirit, would you open up our eyes so that we would see, open our ears to hear, open our hearts. That we would know you and love you and be your faithful followers, showing your love to the world. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, the New York Times uh, asked readers to dispense wisdom in the form of a seven-words haiku-like poem. Now, they got this idea because uh, this came out uh, during the time of uh, when Michael Pollan's book, In Defense of Food, which I did not read because I didn't think food need defending, uh, but he put on the cover of his book these words, uh, eat food, not too much, mostly plants. And so what the New York Times did was decided, okay, let's, let's get some wisdom in other areas uh, uh, in other areas of life uh, following this pattern. 
And so here's some of the wisdom that they received. They got wisdom about family. Call mom, let her talk, don't argue. There's wisdom about finances. Earn 10, only spend nine, happy one. Wisdom about relationships. Accept him or dump him. Relationship fixed. You didn't like that one, all right. Wisdom about driving. Drive safely, use turn signal, no gestures. And then the last one, this was the winner. Now remember, it was kind of about, uh, it was based on the author's one, where it was eat food, not, no, not, too much, not too much, mostly plants. This person wrote, eight plants, a big heap, still hungry. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty wise. Don't you wish giving and receiving wisdom were that easy? Uh, I find myself wanting and asking and praying for something called wisdom. And I barely even know what that looks like. But I do know that I want wisdom. And I'd like it given to me, preferably in seven words or less, that will clear up for me whatever decisions I have to make, uh, whatever I ha- however I have to navigate uh, my life, whatever is going on uh, in my life and in my world. And I don't just want wisdom for my life, I want wisdom for you. And for this church, I want us to be a people who understand life, who are wise with who we are and what we have and what we are to do next and who we are called to be. And Paul now, up until this point, has been really deconstructing wisdom, what he calls wisdom of this age or wisdom of the world. And at times he alludes to something called wisdom of the cross, which to the world is complete folly. But now in verse 6, Paul begins to unpack the kind of wisdom he's been imparting on people and the kind of wisdom that we ought to be pursuing. And I want to look at three ways that we are to be pursuing what Paul would call godly wisdom. First, godly wisdom seeks the hidden God. And then godly wisdom delights in the revealed God. And lastly, godly wisdom shares in the generous God. So wisdom seeks the hidden God. We are to delight in the revealed God, and then we are to share in the generous God. Okay, first, godly wisdom seeks the hidden God. You see this really in verses 6 through 8, where Paul once again differentiates the wisdom that he's been imparting in his ministry versus the wisdom of the age. And in verse 7, he says this, We imparted a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Now, I don't know about you, when I hear Paul talking about secret and hidden wisdom, uh, you might, I'm kind of, and I wonder if you're inclined to think something along the lines of like the Da Vinci Code, where Tom Hanks has to, uh, f- you know, needs to figure out what threatens the very foundation of Christianity and the world, and he's got to uncover the secret and hidden wisdom. Or maybe the, you might be thinking of some secret society of elite Christians who have access to a hidden wisdom. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. What Paul's talking about is the fact that the wisdom of God and God himself is oftentimes hidden from us. This is one of the realities that we experience in life and faith. But notice how he explains this in verse 8. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, in other words, the wisdom of God was displayed on the cross, but the rulers and the leaders of the age, they couldn't see it. They couldn't conceive of a crucified God. It made no sense to them. And yet he was right there. See, Jesus, the Lord of glory, was right there hiding in plain sight. And so when Paul is talking about the secret and hidden wisdom, he's not suggesting that you somehow are in a cosmic game 
of hide and seek with God. And he's, that he is hiding from you and really he doesn't want to be found. Or he doesn't want to be bothered by you. That's not what he is saying. See, if you will open your eyes, you will find the Lord of glory hiding in plain sight. And to be a wise person, to be captivated by the cross of Jesus, means that we are to seek after the hidden God. And see, this is really, really, really important to understand. God is hidden because our eyes are blind to his power and glory. He's hidden because in our sin and desire to be ruler of our own world, we don't want to see him. Because to see God at work, to behold him with our eyes of faith, is to acknowledge his power and his rule over our lives. And that is not something that we naturally desire. That is not something that we naturally seek. And so all too often, God remains hidden from us. But page after page, especially in the Gospels, you see this time and time again, the Gospel writers kind of screaming out to us as readers, don't miss Jesus. Do you see him? Do you see him? Do you see him as the helpless baby in the manger? That's the king of glory. Don't miss him. Do you see him walking on the dusty road with his disciples with nowhere to lay his head? He's there. Don't miss him. Do you see him eating meals and befriending and healing lepers and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? He's there. Don't miss him. And on the cross, hanging between two thieves, there he is, where everyone missed him. The religious leaders, the political leaders, they all missed him. But he was there, hiding in plain sight. See, the very story of Jesus encourages us that if we're to grow in wisdom, we must be a people who seek after the hidden God. But I assure you, he is hidden not because he is hiding from us. He is hidden because we don't know how to see. And oftentimes we don't know how to acknowledge his power and his presence in our lives. He is hidden from us because we are hiding from him. But to seek after him is to look with eyes of faith that God is indeed at work in our world. And he, even now, is governing and upholding the very world in which we live. And so the beginning of wisdom is to acknowledge that we are limited in our understanding. And in the coldness of our own hearts, we can't see and fully understand the beauty and the wonder of God. But wisdom, it also delights in the revealed God. Because to say that God is hidden from us is only really part of the story. And Paul wants us to see this in verses 9 through 11, where Paul says God has revealed himself through the Spirit for those who love him. See, the beauty of the gospel is that God does not let your hiding from him keep him from revealing himself to you. And while we can't know everything about God, what we can know and what God does reveal to us should be a cause for our joy and our delight. That is what Paul is getting at when he loosely quotes the prophet Isaiah in this passage. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, no, no, nor the heart imagined, what God has prepared, what God has prepared for those who love him. See, commentators cannot agree on where exactly Paul is getting it. It's kind of a loose, uh, loose translation, a loose interpretation of a quote of, uh, of Isaiah, perhaps. And unfortunately, I think because of that, we tend to miss the impact of what Paul is really getting at when he says those words. 
Paul is saying what God has revealed to us through his spirit is going to blow you away. The world of grace and renewal, of light and life that is being ushered in through Jesus, the world that he does reveal is unlike anything else anyone has ever seen or known. And this is the cause and the source of our joy. This is why our worship should be first and foremost marked with joy. This is why when we gather in our Bible studies, they are always exercises in joy because God has spoken to us through his word and he is revealing himself to us by his spirit. This is why when we gather in our community groups, we do it with joy because God has given us a community called the church to reveal himself to us and to one another. See, oftentimes we equate wisdom with cynicism. The wise person should be able to see through everything and therefore believe nothing. But for Paul, wisdom and joy and wisdom and awe go hand in hand. Because to even get a glimpse of what God has done for you and for the world is something that leads us to a deep and abiding joy. But listen, for many of you, especially those of you who might be walking through a season of grief and sorrow and darkness or that disorientation that we talked about, And in many ways for all of us, probably we all want a little bit more, just a a little bit more, or maybe a lot more of the secret and hidden wisdom that Paul's talking about in the beginning of this passage. We want just a little bit more. We're familiar with the hiddenness of God, and so we're trying to make sense of your, you're trying to make sense of your life, trying to understand why there is loneliness, why the darkness, why the silence. And if God would just reveal just a little bit more, if he would become just a little bit more real to you, then perhaps you could find some sort of peace. Then maybe you could step out in faith. If you could just get a little more. But I want you to see that the God Paul is introducing us to here is a God who is revealing himself time and time again. It may not be in the way that you wanted. It may not be the way you hoped for. But to grow in wisdom is to see that Jesus is closer to you than any darkness you could ever experience or imagine. No matter how dark it gets, no matter the circumstances in your life, the depth of your grief, the intensity of your despair, the extent of your loneliness, you are never alone. Because this God reveals himself to you and draws close to you by the power of his spirit. And so in the same way that the gospel writers are always revealing that God is hiding in plain sight with Jesus. Paul shows us that God is revealing himself to us everywhere and always by the power of his spirit. So don't miss that God is at work through the people that he has brought to you in your life. Even if at times you find them mildly frustrating. Even if at times they don't know the right words to say. Even if at times... They say the exact thing they shouldn't say. Don't miss how God is using people in your life. Don't miss that God is at work with you as you sit with a psalm in the morning or or in the evening, hoping just for a glimpse, hoping for God to show up. God is with you in the silence. And do not miss the fact that God has promised to be with you here and now. No matter the effectiveness of the sermon, no matter whether the style of worship resonates with you or not. He has called you here, and he is with you now. And wisdom says, godly wisdom 
learns how to delight in the revealed God. This is the point. This is Paul's point in verses 12 through 13. The spirit who knows the depths of God is the same spirit now that has been given to us. And see, finally, true wisdom, it seeks after the hidden God. It delights in the revealed God, but it also shares in the generous God. Did you notice, for all this talk of secret and hidden wisdom of God, Paul doesn't want to keep it much of a secret. Because God doesn't want to keep himself a secret either. See, in verse 12, Paul says that we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. See, the picture here is God, day after day, freely offering himself, revealing himself to the the world. Paul here, in many ways, is offering a brief summary of the Psalms And in one particular, Psalm 19, this is how Psalm 19 opens. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. See, the remarkable thing about Paul's letter to the Corinthians, and his ministry in general, is that he is never deterred. I mean, this church in Corinth that he is writing a letter to is a complete mess. They are divided against each other. They are fighting. They are forming different factions not long after Paul has left. And he is not deterred. He can throw him in prison, threaten him with death, critique his preaching, belittle his teaching. He is undeterred in his ministry because Paul knows that he's not sharing his own wisdom. He's offering God's wisdom for the sake of the world. And for Paul, wisdom is not something that he has achieved. It is something that has been given to him. And now he offers it to us. See, you don't earn the wisdom of God. You don't gather enough intellectual capital to achieve this wisdom. God gives it to you freely because he loves you. Wisdom is a gift that he gives because God is a generous God. And Paul knew and believed that no matter his predicament, no matter how dark things would get for him, God is generous with his very self, with his son, and with his spirit. And because of that, Paul knew that he would have exactly what he needed at exactly the right time. So often we rely on our own power and our own intellect, our own ability to navigate through any myriad of circumstances that we face. But Paul here is inviting us to receive God's wisdom, the wisdom of the cross, that tells us that God in his son Jesus has come to overthrow the powers of the world, even sin and death itself. And so look, while some of you might find it frustrating to live with the hiddenness of God and you're longing for more, longing to just see another small piece of the puzzle in your life so that you can make sense of it. There are others of you, no doubt, who are far more comfortable with the distant relationship that you have with God. And maybe you've given up on hoping and longing for God to show up. In other words, you've grown far more comfortable with cynicism than with awe, and far more comfortable with skepticism than with joy. And wisdom for you means just keeping God at arm's length. But let me encourage you, do not miss the generosity of God. Do not miss the one who calls to you, who reveals himself to you day after day and does so for your glory, for your good, because he loves you. He never tires. He never grows weary. And he does not hide. 
And the very life and death and resurrection of Jesus is evidence of this. It is this wisdom that we are to seek, and it is this wisdom, not our own wisdom, that we need to hear from one another, that our friends and our neighbors so desperately need to hear from us as well. And friends, this wisdom, this wisdom is going to sound like foolishness. The wisdom we carry in our hearts and we proclaim with our lips is wisdom that is not going to get you to the top of any sort of social ladder. It is not going to make you popular in your social groups. It is not going to get you at the seat of the a seat at the table of power and influence in any, sort, in any of your spheres of, of vocation and calling. But make no mistake, the wisdom that Paul talks about, the wisdom that we are talking about, the wisdom of the cross, is the wisdom that changes the world. And now here, Paul is saying that God has freely given us that wisdom so that we now, with great humility and great hope, can share this wisdom with the world. This is the wisdom that you and I so desperately need to hear from one another. This is the wisdom that your neighbors long to hear. This is the wisdom that the world is hungry for. It is the wisdom of the cross. But this is the wisdom of hope that will bring renewal to a world that so desperately needs it. May God give us the courage and the hope to proclaim this wisdom. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a generous God that so freely gives us what we so desperately need, Lord. We need this wisdom. We need to to see and experience your power and presence in our lives. And we confess to you that so oftentimes we are the ones that are hiding from you, that you are not hiding from us. So, Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who seek after you, who learn to see you at work in the lives of one another in our world who learned to see you by the power of your spirit through your word, and who now will see you at this table as you feed us and nourish us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.